where we read this, the beginning of the gospel, a word that means good news, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark titles his book, if you will, The Good News About Jesus. That's what this is about. And then he goes on to relay the account of the arrival of God himself in human history. The arrival of Jesus Christ is good news. And that is what John the Baptist is there to herald in the opening chapters of this book. Uh, Follow me as I read verses 1 to 8 of Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, And wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And so what I'd like to do as we look at this text this morning, I, I want to just kind of work our way through it and highlight uh, five goodnesses of the gospel. What makes it so good? First of all, the good news of Jesus' arrival is heralded ahead of time. That is, that is a goodness of the gospel. The opening verses of this book, uh, they trumpet the arrival of the God of heaven to men. And his arrival is heralded well in advance. Like the arrival of some great dignitary or a king. And the announcement is that he is going to come uh, first into the wilderness. And from there he's going to make his way to the city. And specifically he's going to make his way to the temple. And the road proceeds on from there and will eventually come to its end on the top of a hill where he will be crowned like no other. The good news of Jesus' arrival, it's heralded ahead of time. Maybe not all the details, but the basic facts are there. And this is done, this heralding ahead of time is done by God the Father, John the Baptist, and I think we could even say others. Verse 1 says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the next big thought, and this text comes in verse 4, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, John appeared. In other words, the gospel, actually if we're following Mark's flow of thought, the gospel doesn't start with Jesus. The gospel starts with John. But actually, as, as we look and read about John, the gospel doesn't start with John either. The gospel starts with God, the Father, I might even say Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jewish people. In verse 4, John appeared. Verse 2, 
just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Verses 2 to 3 contain quotations from uh, the Old Testament prophets like Malachi and Isaiah. The, the Isaiah quote is kind of the heart and center here, but he's also pulling in from Malachi. And so why don't we just go back to some of these Old Testament books and let's see what was said there. Uh, turn back with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament, so just a few books back in your Bible. And turn with me to chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Here God the Father, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares to his people Israel that he will come. It's God the Father talking. And the prophets often referred to the day of God's arrival to men. Uh, In the Old Testament prophets, that was referred to as the day of the Lord, which uh, just covers this massive swath, uh, this massive period and all kinds of events. The day of God's arrival would prove to be both a day of blessing for God's true people and a day of judgment for his, for his enemies. I want you to look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and here's what God says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. Again, this is God the Father speaking. And God the Father told Israel here that he, Yahweh, not somebody else, but him, God the Father, Yahweh, was coming. And he told Israel that he would send a messenger in advance of his arrival. And he also told them that he, Yahweh, would make his way to his temple. Uh, Look over at chapter 4 of Malachi, the last two verses of the book, verses 5 and 6. We're also told this, Behold, God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, in these verses, God also told his people that before his arrival, before uh, the day of the Lord, he would send Elijah the prophet, and Elijah's ministry would produce a powerful turning of people's hearts. Now turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, because Mark's also quoting this is the heart of his quotation in Mark chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll look at verses 1 to 5 here in a moment. I don't know how much you know about the book of Isaiah, but basically after 39 dark chapters about judgment, I mean, literally, you open up the book of Isaiah, and for 39 chapters in a row, you read about nothing but judgment. It's <laughs> just like judgment. Judgment, judgment. God's saying, I'm going to judge this nation. I'm going to judge that one. I'm going to judge all these other nations. I'm going to judge my people. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Sin, sin, sin. Judgment, judgment. 39 chapters. Can you imagine if I preached this sermon series through the book of Isaiah? I mean, for like two years in a row, I'd be standing up here telling you some just terrible news of judgment. Well, that's the book of Isaiah all the way up to chapter 39. Judgment on Israel and the nations. 
And after 39 chapters of that, Isaiah the prophet starts declaring words of comfort, words of hope, words of cleansing, all tied to the fact that Yahweh is going to come to men. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That, and the idea seems to be causal, like because. Cry to her because her warfare is ended and that her, or because her iniquity is pardoned or that or because she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Her sins have been dealt with. And then these words. A voice cries. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These are sweet, comforting words to Israel about the arrival of God himself. Um, now, As we look at those verses, the remainder of Isaiah chapter 40 is about waiting for the coming of the Lord. That really is like the central theme. And it shows up again at the end of the book, or end of Isaiah 40. Look at verses 30 to 31. You probably know these verses. They may even be plastered on your wall. Look at verses 30 to 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted, but, verse 31, those who do what? Those who wait. For the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is telling his people, wait for my arrival. It will give you strength. It will give you comfort. Wait for the day of the Lord. Wait for the arrival of God on the scene. I am coming. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, Mark makes a uh, a subtle change to the Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 quote that I showed you. I want you to look at Mark chapter 1 verse 2 and you look at that verse and I'm going to read Malachi 3 verse 1 again. Uh, Starting with the word behold there in Mark chapter 2 or Mark chapter 1 verse 2. Here's the Malachi quote. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. That's God, as we think of him, God the Father, Yahweh of the Old Testament. But Mark didn't say that uh, he will prepare the way before me. Mark said he will prepare your way. The way of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 1. God the Father's promised arrival is fulfilled in the coming of the Son of God, who verse 1 identifies as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Uh, John the Baptist, he shows up in the wilderness as God's prophesied messenger to prepare the road ahead of time. But God hasn't actually arrived yet as he was prophesied in the Old Testament. John doesn't even know what he looks like. He just knows that he's coming And he's there to herald that. And so John's out in the wilderness preaching the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 9 it says, In those days, 
Jesus came. The good news of Jesus' arrival is heralded ahead of time. And this is done by God the Father, by John the Baptist. And I would argue here that this is done as an act of kindness and mercy. Look at verses 2 to 3 again. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John is preparing the way for the Lord. And how is he doing that? He's preparing the way for the Lord by calling the people to prepare for his arrival. They're not ready. And John's on the scene to declare that he's coming so that these people can be ready. They're not ready at all. And the message that John proclaims gets right at the heart of why they are not ready. They're dirty. The message that John preaches is a message that Jesus is coming and you're dirty. And you're sinful. And you're in need of cleansing. And the Bible says that 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 is every single one of us. Have you ever had someone show up unannounced? I mean, they just like totally surprised you. (laughs) Um, Maybe it was a family member and they just showed up and, hey, we're here to stay. Oh, okay. For like five weeks. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Thanks for letting me know. Or maybe it was a boss, you're working really hard and the day's been crazy, it's been hectic, it's been wild and you've been scrambling and here's your boss. Hey, are you done with that yet? Uh, not quite. (laughs) Or uh, maybe a customer shows up unannounced and you just weren't ready. You may have been caught off guard and even been unprepared. You know, it is the mercy and kindness of God to announce his coming ahead of time. That's exactly what he's doing. And he is giving people the chance to examine themselves and see if they're ready to meet him. The good news of Jesus' arrival is heralded ahead of time. And I would ask you this. If you were one of John's listeners in those days, would you be ready for the arrival of God there in the wilderness that day? By the way, you actually are one of John's listeners. And I would even go so far as to argue that as he heralded the day of God's coming, he was heralding more than simply the coming of Jesus to the wilderness that particular day in history. In line with the Old Testament prophets before him, John the Baptist was declaring the day of the Lord. A day that we all must prepare for. And it it could be called that in the sense of Jesus' arrival there that day in the wilderness, but there's so much more to that, that package called the day of the Lord and the arrival of the king. And as we'll see, John's message is not a message of, hey, wash yourself. Hey, why don't you better yourself? God is coming. No, it's a message of the need for confession and the need for repentance. And that brings us to a second goodness of the gospel. The good news of Jesus' arrival means that preparation is not only needed, but preparation is actually possible. Preparation is needed and possible. By sending a messenger ahead of time, God is giving the people a chance to get ready. You see his kindness? 
You see the heart of God? The message John preached told people how to do that very thing. John is arriving uh, to prepare the way. And verse 4 says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A different type of baptism than we might think of what the church does today. But what's going on here? John's message was basically something to this effect. John is heralding in the wilderness loud and clear that God is coming. And you will encounter him. You need to prepare. And and his message about this baptism of repentance and what he's doing there, he's saying that your sin makes you dirty. And you must be cleansed. Confess your sin and your filth to God. And turn and accept his cleansing. Because he will grant you forgiveness. But you must ask. You must take it. You must let him wash you. And based on John's message, I think we should ask, how do you prepare to encounter God? That's what these people were going to do. And that's what we all will do. How do you prepare to encounter God? Well, John's message Really, the Lord's message is that confession and repentance of sin must occur. Look at verse 5. We read there, as John stands up and he preaches, verse 5, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. And notice the last phrase of verse 5. What are they doing? What's at the heart of all this? They're confessing their sins. The people responded to John's call to repent by being baptized by him and confessing their sins. And both of those acts, uh, the, the verbal confession of sin and the stepping into the water to be baptized, both of those acts demonstrated an acknowledgement on the part of the person that according to God, they were dirty and they were defiled, and they were sinful, and they were in need of cleansing. Any person that stepped into the water for John's baptism was acknowledging, I am here in this water because I'm a dirty, sinful person. And I am here because God offers forgiveness, and this is all being portrayed here in this scene and on this setting. If a person was being baptized by John, they were acknowledging their sin against the holy God, turning from it, and by faith, taking the cleansing that he offered to them by God. These baptisms didn't actually cleanse anybody. They just demonstrated that cleansing. In order to prepare for an encounter with God, confession and repentance of sin must occur, and with that, forgiveness of sin must occur. Verse 4 says that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. What a wonderful message, heralded ahead of time. You are so filthy and dirty due to your sins, but you can be washed, you can be cleansed, you can be healed and forgiven of every single one of your sins. John is God's messenger. God is the one saying to these people, I will forgive you. I will forgive you if you will confess your sins to me and repent. What great news that is. What about you? Has God cleansed you of your sins? Have you actually been washed of all the sin that you have and who you are as a sinner? Has God cleansed you of your sins? Have you said to God, in particular, um, 
on the basis of Jesus Christ, have you said, I'm a sinner and I see that. I acknowledge that. And God, will you wash me and will you make me clean? And will you save me from encountering you in some form of judgment? Years ago, my wife and I went to someone's house for dinner and after we ate, they wanted to take us to the backyard and show us something that they had just done back there in their backyard. They uh, wanted to show us this massive hatch door thing on the ground. And we're like, what in the world is this? And so they opened it up and it was this massive, I mean, just in my own words, like end of the world capsule buried in their backyard. And I thought, wow, like, this is nicer than my bedroom and there's food in here. Like I could practically live down here. It was, it was legitimately quite cool. And it looked as if they were ready for the end of the world, you know? Like if anything happens, we're good. We've got this hole in the ground with everything. Uh, people prep for all kinds of things. All of us, whether it's like kind of that and that sort of extreme or just everyday life, we're people who prepare for things. People prep for all kinds of things, but often they're completely unprepared for the one thing that really matters. And that's encountering the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of his arrival. And like John, can I ask you, are you ready for what is coming? John was there to herald it ahead of time. God is coming right here. And you need to prepare. You need God's cleansing. You need to repent and confess your sins to God and say, God, would you cleanse me? The good news of Jesus' arrival means that preparation is needed and possible. You can be cleansed. And again, this is not a self-reformed message. This is not go clean, go wash yourself. (laughs) No, no, no. You can't do that. You're dirty. And as the New Testament would continue to teach this message of good news, and as we follow Jesus throughout the Gospels, we're going to see that God himself, after he comes, makes his way to a cross and he dies for sinners. And how is this cleansing, uh, how does it occur? Well, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus will say, uh, repent and believe the good news. You've got to confess your sin to God. Say exactly what God says about your sin, that it's, you have it and that it makes you dirty and defiled and it's wrong. God, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Will you wash me? Will you cleanse me based on Christ and his work? And he does that. A third goodness of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' arrival is for all people. Look at verse 5 again and let's just notice what's happening on, at this point in history. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Just a small note here. The message that John heralded was not for the rich and famous. It was not for the elite or the religious. It was, this message was heralded for all. The message God sent through John was addressed to everyone. You all are sinful. God says, but I will cleanse you. I will make you whole. Uh, You may not be part of John's original audience, but that message is still true today, and it's heralded. The good news is heralded to everyone. You are sinful, but God will cleanse you on his terms. Uh, We've got a phrase that we sometimes say, uh, joking around like, oh yeah, I didn't get the invite. You know, uh, it's like the whole church got together for a party and they didn't invite you. Like everybody's at someone, I didn't, oh yeah, didn't get the invite. <laughs> um, just something that we say. 
and we open up to the Gospel of Mark, there's nobody saying that. In fact, there's nobody that could say, yeah, didn't get the invite out there to the wilderness that day. No. Here God is heralding this message ahead of time to everyone. This message is for you. The good news of Jesus' arrival is for all people. The fourth goodness of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' arrival is extremely powerful. Back to verse 5 again. Look there and just note what happened. All of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The message John preached was a powerful message. Uh, the book of Romans chapter 1 refers to the good news about Jesus as the power of God. It's extremely, extremely powerful. How powerful? Well, so powerful that when John preaches it, people come out in droves confessing their sin to God and finding his forgiveness and being cleansed. Look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You go, wow, John was a unique character. Interesting. You may wonder, why on earth do, do the scriptures give us those kinds of details? Like, why are those even there? And why was he dressed that way? Did anybody else dress like that, do that? You know, camel's hair? I'm sure it was trendy. I think those details are meant to identify John with the Old Testament prophets before him. They're identifying John as a prophet of God. And to see John in the wilderness back in those days was to see someone who looked as if he were the twin of the great prophet Elijah. This is, this is what Elijah looked like. And what, what was Elijah's ministry like? The days of Elijah were days of powerful and miraculous dealings of God. Unlike really any other period in the prophets. And so when John stands up as a prophet like Elijah and he proclaims the good news, he proclaims this message about Jesus and his arrival, it is accompanied by the powerful and miraculous workings of God. Just like in the days of Elijah. And the hearts of people turn as the prophet Malachi said would happen. This is a powerful message. And I think we should take heart by this. What's John standing up and proclaiming? The news of Jesus and his, and his arrival. And God stamps that with just marks of his power. And I think any of us today that would share this, this message with anyone should say, yes, that, that is the nature of this message. It is powerful. I don't know if you've seen uh, the the little like expandable kids towels. Maybe you buy them at Dollarama or Dollar Tree. And it's, it's like a little hand towel that comes in a package, you know, about this big wrapped in plastic. And it's been all compressed into this tiny little wad. And the fun thing with these little towels is you take the plastic off and you're just supposed to throw them in water, right? And what happens when that towel, that little compressed thing hits the water, it expands into this larger hand towel with some picture on it, whatever, I mean, as a kid, you're like, wow, that's amazing. How did that happen? That, whoa. And you, know, you give your kids something like that, they have no idea. You're just, just throw it in the water. Just see what happens. <laughs> and off it goes. It does its thing. I think the gospel 
is much that same way. Maybe at times we think, well, it's just this message. Or, you know, it, it, well, why don't you just throw it out there and see what happens? I mean, throw it out there the right way, but why don't you just share it and see what happens? Do you realize the nature of this message? When, when we talk about the beginning of it in the Gospel of Mark, we're taken back to the ministry of Elijah. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful message. And it's life-changing. If you believe that, and you're like, yes, it is. The gospel is the power of God. Then what would you do? You would share it. I'm going to take this message, and I'm going to put it out there. Because it's the power of God. And if you want to reflect God's heart and his ways that we've already seen, then you would do that telling people ahead of time as a kindness and mercy. God's heart is, I love these people. And so out of compassion and mercy, I'm going to tell them about my arrival, my arrival in advance. And that's exactly what God has tasked us with. He says, I love the people of the world and I've left you here so that in advance you could give them this powerful good news. The bad news about their sin and the wonderful news about Jesus Christ. That is a kindness. And one final goodness of the gospel from this text, the good news of Jesus' arrival is about a great person. We talk about good news, well, we've got to hone in on a really, really great person. The message John is proclaiming is about a fabulous, wonderful, glorious person, an incomparably great person. And he's found in verse 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we talk about the good news, we might say that Jesus Christ is the good news of the gospel. It's about him. Verse 1 says the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of or about Jesus Christ. All the good news of the world is wrapped up in a person. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And it's more than just this set of facts that we spit out there. The good news is all wrapped up in a person. Jesus Christ. The gospel arrives in a person. Jesus Christ is the subject matter of the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about him. Jesus Christ is the good news of the gospel, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In verse 1, Jesus Christ is identified as the Son of God. He's God himself in the flesh. And God the Father, he said, as we saw way back in the Old Testament, God the Father says, I will come. And Jesus shows up. Jesus Christ is more than a man. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is the God-man. He is the Son of God. Let there be no question about his identity. He is God. And he wasn't God for 30-some years of human history. He has always been and he has always been God. At the end of the book of Mark, after Jesus takes his final breath, hanging there on the cross, a centurion looks up and he said, truly this man. He's looking at a man, flesh and blood, hanging on a cross. And the centurion says, truly this man was the son of God. And in verse 7, John tells us, he keeps going on about Jesus. He tells us that Jesus is mighty. Look at verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I mean, if John looks like Elijah, he looks mighty. I mean, have you seen any dudes walking around in like a garment of uh, camel's hair and a belt? Like the guy's the real deal. And things are happening like in the days of Elijah. He goes, no, like you don't understand. Jesus Christ is incomparably mighty. Jesus is mightier than all. And as we follow Jesus through this book, we will see his authority and we will see his power. And we will see that in in the way that he powerfully and authoritatively teaches. And people listen and they hear, we have never heard teaching like this. With this kind of authority and power. We'll see it in his power and authority over demons. And in his power and authority over sickness and, and the created order and his power to forgive sins and heal and his power ultimately to lay down his life and then to take it up again and rise from the grave. Jesus Christ is mighty. And John continues, listen, Jesus Christ is worthy. Look at verse 7. Again, and he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. John's view of the God he was heralding, the God who was coming was so great that he considered himself unworthy to even stoop down and do something below a slave and untie his shoes. Untie the straps of his sandals not even to serve him in the most humble and menial of tasks. Humility is the only response to the worthiness of Jesus Christ, and we see that in John the Baptist as he prepares the way. And the question for the people in the book of Mark, and the question for all of us today, is how will you respond to the greatness and worthiness of Jesus Christ? His unique splendor and glory is going to confront all men in the book of Mark that he encounters. What are they going to do? What will you do? How will you respond to the greatness and worthiness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And John said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down at his feet. Many of the people who encounter Jesus in the book of Mark refuse to humble themselves and bow before him. Particularly the Jewish leaders. Yeah, no, who are you? We don't care. And others. However, throughout the book, we will see a handful of people who respond much like John the Baptist did. John said, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. A leper comes in chapter 1, verse 40, and we read specifically that he kneeled before him. These are the type of things people do before kings. Unclean spirits, demons, we read in chapter 3, verse 13, fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. The demons see his unique glory and power. A man full of demons who lived among the tombs, we read in Mark 5, 6 to 7, ran and he falls down before Jesus. And crying out with a loud voice, he and it's kind of the man and all the demons said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? A ruler of the synagogue named Jairus, chapter 5, verse 21, fell at his feet. A woman with an incurable discharge of blood, chapter 5, verse 33, fell down before him. A Syrophoenician woman, not in the Jewish circle, 
She's a Gentile. Dirty, unclean in every way, at least in the Jewish mind. Fell down at his feet. Chapter 7, verse 25. And all these different people are going to respond to Jesus. They will either fall at his feet or they will say, no way. Jesus Christ is worthy, John the Baptist heralds in the wilderness. He is the Son of God. The only right response is to fall down and prostrate yourself at the feet of Jesus. And he keeps telling us more about Jesus. And he he wraps up in verse 8. We learn that Jesus blesses people through the Holy Spirit. The God who is coming is a God who gives like no other. Look at verse 8. John says, listen, I've baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist immersed people in water. But he said that when the one about to arrive, who we'll find out is Jesus, that he would plunge people into the Holy Spirit. And through the work of Jesus Christ, the Spirit would wash people. And the Spirit would make people new and clean and they would be united with the Spirit of God. They would be given the Spirit of God. They would be, they would be given new hearts by the Spirit of God. What a gift. And what John is doing is saying, look at Jesus. I'm not here to announce how great I am. You look at Jesus. He is great. If you were to, to describe for me this morning someone that I've never met, and I'll just try to guess who it is. So, okay, why don't you tell me about someone that I've never met, someone in your life? Maybe I'm talking to another guy, and he goes, well, I'll, I'll tell you about um, someone I know. She's really kind. I love her. She's, um, she's so nice. She's really good at this or that. Um, she uh, has a lot of courage. She is really faithful. She's really loyal and brave, and I love her. And I go, okay, um, maybe you're talking about your wife? I don't know. Your daughter? Your dog? I don't know. <laughs> Loyal, brave? like. Uh. But you're giving all these details, and I'm standing there trying to guess. And John says, let me give you all the details about someone you haven't met yet. And he starts saying things like this. He's the son of God. He is the good news. He is mighty. So mighty that he teaches with authority. Demons fall down before him. Sickness and the created order obey him. He forgives sins. He could die and come back to life. People fall down on their faces before him because of how great and awesome and worthy he is. And he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and unites people with the Spirit of God. You guess who he is? Some man? Some ordinary person? No, John is standing there in the wilderness to say that the person that I am describing is God and he's coming here soon and you need to be ready to meet him. The good news of Jesus' arrival is about a great person. The arrival of Jesus Christ is good news. And so I ask you as we wrap up this morning, are you ready to meet him?
And if you're not, then the, the message that we'll see Jesus proclaims is we'll repent and believe. You confess your sin to me and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what his, the work that he does on the cross. And you will be saved and you'll be cleansed and you will be healed. And I want to ask you, not only are you ready to meet him, but who do you know that's not? And if you love them and you reflect the character of God, then it is a kindness to tell them this wonderful news ahead of time so that they too can prepare. Would you bow your heads with me at this time?